Just ask him. What's the worst that could happen? Hey, Jeff. I was wondering if you'd like to go to church with us sometime. I just thought... I just thought... Okay, 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 okay. Hey, Jeff. Oh, hey, man, what's going on? Hey, uh, I was wondering if you'd like to join us for church on Sunday. Yeah, I don't see why not. Cool, man. I hope that you've been inviting people to Easter. Um, but if you haven't, I understand why. I get it. Inviting is hard. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them that. Inviting is hard. You can tell them that at home. If it's to yourself, talk to yourself. I know you do it. It's fine. Inviting is hard. I think back to, you know, just helping people uh, think through weddings. As a pastor, I get to be a part of a lot of uh, weddings, and I don't get to do all of the details. Thankfully, I don't need to. Uh, but one of the challenges that the couples always talk about is the problem of inviting. Uh, sometimes the list is so big of all of the people that they want to invite, they don't know where to make the cutoffs. They don't know where to say, okay, we shouldn't invite anymore. Uh, there's obviously, you have to invite immediate family. They get to come, and often they're VIPs. They're dignitaries in the service. They want to, and they need to be part, a big moment of the service, a big moment close uh, up to the sort of the head table if you're holding a reception. Um, then, of course, there's extended family. And some of those you want to invite. Some of them, your parents want you to invite. And sometimes those two lists of all kinds of different names on there. And then, of course, there's elementary school friends, grade school friends. There's, there's high school friends. There's college friends. There's friends from work. There's friends from all of your hobbies and all of your spheres of influence. If you invited everyone, you may not have enough room. As a matter of fact, some people feel the pressure of inviting people to something as big as a wedding. They feel that pressure. It's so large that they will go into massive amounts of debt just to make sure that they can have everyone come, everyone attend, and be a part of the reception. And then... There are those who say, boy, we just can't fit everyone in the room, or we just don't have that much money, or we really wanted a smaller service, a smaller reception, so we need to trim the list, and there's some people that they leave aside, and you choose not to invite them, and then word comes back that they're hurt. They're hurt that they weren't invited, or conversely... You send out the invitations, and you get a response back on the uh, RSVP, RSVP card that says, I'm sorry, I can't make it that day. I'm going bowling. <laughs> I'm going to the, uh, I'm going to be watching the game on television. I'm sorry, I can't come to your wedding and your reception. And that hurts you. That hurts you as a couple. You think, what kind of a friendship do you have? Inviting is hard, Right? 
Inviting people is hard. Inviting people to church feels hard. Inviting people to follow Jesus feels hard, right? We know that an invite for someone to come to church, to join you at church, there's a lot on the line. There's a lot on the line spiritually. There's a lot on the line emotionally. Because we don't know how people will react when we tell them we're a Jesus follower. We want them to be a Jesus follower because that's sort of the step in the process of where we want people to be inviting others to church. We know that this is something that we want them to do. We want them to experience. We want them to know what we know. But that's really personal, right? That's personal spiritually. That's personally emotionally. Do you know what that's like? It's like asking someone out on a date. Some of you may need to think back a few years and go way, 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 way back a few years before you were married and think back to that time that you saw that guy and think, my, my, I'd like to get to know him better. I wonder if, uh, how would I, what would I, how could I, and so on. And you think about, how do I make the best impression? What do I wear? What do I do? How do I look? And guys, you remember this, right? You see that girl with the hair just blowing just so perfectly in the wind, and you think, oh, baby, <laughs> man, that, ooh, I gotta, how do I talk to her? How do I bring it up? How do I, how do I make a move? How do I approach this? How do I ask her out? What do I do? What's she interested? Will she respond? Will she say yes or no? Will he say yes or no? It's deeply personal. Like asking someone out on a date. And so that's why we don't. We don't invite others to church. And we have some really good reasons. Some really good things that we need to process through when we're thinking about inviting someone to church. I mean, let's face it, though, I think sometimes when we're inviting people to church, we self-sabotage the invitation before we even make it. We think things like, well, what would happen if they said no? What would that do to the relationship? Would they laugh at us? Would they think less of us? We think things like, oh, there's nothing for them at our church. There's nothing really for them. There's nothing, you know, a, a, a guy gets up or a girl gets up, a woman gets up and speaks, and, and there's songs that they don't know, and there's words that they don't know. No, they wouldn't like it at all. We think, gosh, I don't have anyone to invite. I don't know any non-Christians. That happens. As people follow Jesus over time, they kind of get into their own crowds and they know their own people and they start to not associate as much with those who don't follow Jesus as much. They prioritize their time with those that do and that's kind of natural. And so they look at the people that they know well and then the people that they don't know very much and they think, gosh, I don't know if I should invite. I don't really know anyone. So all my friends are already Christians. Whether they're regularly practicing their faith or not is irrelevant. You know that they're Christians. They made a decision. They've said that. And so you don't invite them to your church even if they don't have their own church home. You don't want to hurt the relationship, right? I mean, you don't want to make it be worsened because of religious talk. Or you know that the church has problems. You know the church isn't perfect. It's, you know, the, there's things going on. There's certain people in the church that's like, 
when everyone gets together at Thanksgiving and Christmas and that weird uncle comes over and you're just like, okay, everybody just buckle down and hold on for three or four or six hours. We'll get through this together. There's that weird uncle at church that you're just kind of going, please let them be home this Sunday watching online and not in person, right? You just don't, you want them to be somewhere else. Like you're embarrassed by some of the people in church or... You're wondering what's going to happen in the service. The service experience is inconsistent. What's going to happen? Is the projector bulb going to go? Are they going to have backups? Are they, you know, what are they going to be talking about? What's the guy or the girl going to be talking about from up front? What are they going to be doing? What are they going to be talking about? Are they going to bring up a topic that's sensitive? What are you going to do? So we don't invite. But some people choose to invite. Some people choose to invite. And it tends to be one of two experiences. When we go to invite someone to church, if we finally work up the nerve, we either under-invite or over-invite. And let me kind of demonstrate what I mean by that. Um, Maybe I can ask my wife, Krista, to come and join me up on front. Would you give her a big hand, please? Thank you. Give her a hand at home. We can do this because we don't wear masks at home, so this is fine. <laughs> yeah, she has no idea what I'm about to do, but uh, we're, we're going to pretend that we're co-workers, and I'm going to invite you to church. This is how it would be on the underplay type of experience. Oh, oh hey, Krista. How's your day going? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's going okay. Hey, um, you know, I was uh, kind of, you know, think maybe, um, you know, if you, you know, if you're not like um, too, um, uh, you know, if you're not busy, you know, I'm probably sure you are. You probably have lots to do, and you'd like think, you know, maybe, um, you know, I, I, this thing, I on, on a weekend, um, uh, on 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 uh, Sunday, and uh, you know, and uh, um, yeah, I was, uh, I don't know if you, maybe you, um, I, maybe you, I. Um, uh, could you would be maybe like uh, would uh, uh, do you do you want to go to church? Okay, that's the one way thing that happens. We underplay it. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to make it conversational. The other thing is we overplay it, and it and that looks a little something like this. Hey, Krista, how's your week going? Oh, shut up! Listen, I want you to come to church. You're a, you know what? I know what you're like. You're the kind of person who needs to come to church. As a matter of fact, all of these employees need to come to church. You know what I'm saying? You know, I know, I know what you guys posted on the weekend. I know what you guys did. Like, you guys need to get to church. Right. Thank you. All right, good job. That's what we do. We're either so nervous we never actually ask well, or we just bluntly, rudely, say, you need to get to church. That's exactly what happens. It's hard to invite. I get it. I don't often tell people I'm a pastor when I first meet them. Because when I tell them I'm a pastor, I'm not sure how they'll react. I think the shields will go up. I'm not sure the shields will go down. 
I know I've told this story a couple of times, but uh, my wife and I attended a, a fundraising training seminar uh, here in Rochester uh, a couple of years ago. I was working on the research portion of my doctoral dissertation, and I uh, uh, took my wife to a big fundraising training thing put on by the Association of Fundraising Professionals. And of course, you sit at tables and you have lunch, and I was talking to another uh, fundraiser who said she's just getting started in, in the industry and she's working at a local college. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and then the, the return question was, of course, asked, well, what do you guys do? And my, my wife explained she works in uh, clinical research at a, a local uh, cancer center. And I said, and I'm a pastor. And immediately the girl started to pour out her life. Like, oh, I, I, I go to this church. Well, I used to, but I don't go now because it's really far. And I'm not, you know, I've kind of, it's been a while, so I don't, I'm okay. And you, I'm just enjoying the salad. <laughs> like, it was so uncomfortable. She didn't know what to say. And I'm just like, oh, it's, it's okay, it's okay. You know, everyone has their own experience of church. But I'm hesitant to say, I'm a pastor, I'm a minister. My job is in the clergy industry, the clergy field, simply because people put up the barriers. And I know you feel that same way as well. As soon as people understand that you're a Christian, you don't know how they'll react. Will the barriers go up? Will the fists go up? What will they do? Will they run? Will they overshare and make things uncomfortable? I get it. But do you remember the video that we started with, the sermon bumper? There was a question there. To be honest, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst? There are some things we can think of, but the odds are nobody's going to take a hose and spray us directly in the face as soon as we ask them to go to church. I actually want to thank the uh, uh, ministry team at Life Church. Life Church. Uh, provides a number of free resources to churches. They have these videos in three different ways. Uh, the first one is the one we watched, the guy imagining getting hosed. Uh, the second one is where after he makes an invite to church, the guy, sl- the guy being asked slugs him in the face, yells to his family, says, Code Red, we've been asked to church, we're moving. Puts a for sale sign right on his lawn, phones into work and says, yeah, I'm not coming in this week, I got asked to church. And he gets in his car and drives off. And then the third video is, as the guy says, hey, would you like to join me for church on Sunday? The guy goes, nah! Drops down, picks up a rocket launcher and shoots the other guy's house (laughs) and blows it up. They're worth checking out. If you really want, I'll be glad to send you the links of where you can find them. They're hysterical. But what's the worst that could happen? I want to talk about that by flipping the question. What's the best that could happen? What's the best thing that could happen? And behind that is hopefully something that builds within us, that encourages us to take a step in inviting others to come to church. Let me show you what I mean. If you've got a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. 
because it is amazing to me as it all happens how amazed the people in the story become. Let me show you what that means. We read in verse 9 that about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, by the way, uh, went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. I get it. Peter clearly doesn't live in Rochester because he goes up on a roof to pray. In the middle of praying, he's hungry, and the heat, hunger, just kind of does that, you know, what cats do, collapses in the sun. But he has a trance. And in that, all of these foods come down, some of them pure, but some of them impure. You see, uh, there were a number of Jewish food laws that had been handed down generation by generation by generation that were considered to be part of your sign that you belong to the people of God. This was an act of righteousness. You would abstain from certain things. You would abstain from certain kinds of food that God had said, those are off limits. I want you to eat only these things. This is a sign that I am part of the family. I am part of the family of God. I am part of the people of God by choosing what I eat and how it's prepared. And we still see that today. Passover is just starting to be celebrated. And at that time, you see a lot of different things, uh, different kinds of foods, different kinds of celebration, uh, things that are off limits. Uh, we can go today and go to a, a Jewish uh, grocery store and we can buy foods that are kosher that have been approved for consumption for those who are still practicing these ceremonial food laws. And Peter is a good Jewish person. So what is God doing? There's this vision where all these things come down, and Peter says, I can't touch these. These would make me unrighteous. I can't do that. This is, this is outside of your commands. And God says, don't declare anything unclean that I have made clean. What is going on? seems like God is changing the rules. Peter certainly didn't get it in the moment, but it's all about to make sense for us. Because we read in verse 17, that while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. 
So twice we're told that Peter's wondering about the vision, thinking about the vision, because this is really, really big to him. This is huge what God is saying. This is massive. But something's happening behind the scenes. And this is actually a a narrative trick that we know from television very, very well. This is the type of thing that you'd see on the text on the bottom of an old western. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. And then it would switch to a scene at the ranch and it would show us all of the things that are happening. This is a meanwhile, back at the ranch moment. Peter's wondering. Unclean food. Clean food. God says it's all good. And these men from Cornelius come, and this is really odd. They show up, and they show up at Simon the Tanner's home. And they say, hey, is there a guy named Peter here? I mean, what are the odds of that? Surely they would know who lived in the home if they were from the area. They would not know that they had a guest there. And for them to say, do you have a guest named this person there is really quite astounding. And they show up exactly at the right house, exactly where Peter is, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, listen, there's some men downstairs. You need to go with them. No questions asked. Ah, what is going on behind the scenes? Well, it's just a few verses earlier, back at the beginning of the chapter, actually, in Acts chapter 10, that we read this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Lived in Rome, not from the people of God. He and all his family, though, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Okay. He is staying with Simon the Tanner. Simon, Peter, Simon Tanner, got it. Whose house is by the sea. Anything else, like Google Maps? Nope. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Go find the house by the sea of Simon the Tanner and ask for Simon named Peter. That's what's happening behind the scenes. So they show up. And Peter's told by the Spirit, these men have come. Go with them. And they go. And they go together. There's an amazing story in the rest of this chapter from uh, verse 17 all the way to 35. It's a long passage. I wish we had time to really read the whole thing together this morning. So let me just, but we don't. So let me just summarize it. They go and they journey to the house of Cornelius. And when they arrive, Peter's welcomed with open arms. 
And this is staggering because Cornelius knows full well who he's talking to. He is talking to a devout Jew. And Peter knows exactly who he is talking to, a commander in the Roman army, the group that occupied God's people, the group that, well, they did some things in the temple just to irritate the Jewish people. Things that would be sacrilege to the Jewish people. That's what the Roman occupiers did. And then they taxed them to no end. That's this group. And Peter comes and stands before him. And Cornelius is asked, why, you know, why did you summon for me? Why am I here? And Cornelius says, well, I had a vision from God who said that I'm to ask for you from uh, the house of Simon the Tanner, that you would be in a house by the sea. I had a vision, so we asked you to come. Now, tell us what it is we are to do. Of all the things that Peter expected, was that what he expected the Roman commander to do? Of course not. He expected, you're in trouble, we brought you here, we're, we're something. But here's this person who just says, I'm seeking you. The Lord told me to ask for you. Tell me what you have for us. Tell me what we need to do. And Peter, in one of the most amazing verses, says, says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. The story goes on that Peter explains, that was in verses 34 and 35, and Peter goes on and tells the story of what Jesus has accomplished, how He was crucified, and how God raised Him from the dead, and now anyone who puts their faith in Him can be saved, and the sign of that is baptism, is dedication, and so they do that, they commit their lives to Jesus, and the whole family starts to speak in tongues, and it's an amazing worship experience. It's like a little mini second Pentecost to these Roman soldiers, to this family, this military family. And Peter goes, this is not what I expected. He expected something completely different. And Peter made the connection at that moment that God wasn't talking about food in his vision, but about things that he thought God could not redeem, that were outside of God's plan, that could never be part of God's family. He was not talking about food, he was talking about people. And what Peter had done, I think unintentionally, was to think in his mind that there are some people who are beyond the work of saving grace. Not because God couldn't save them, but it couldn't come through Him. 
It couldn't be part of his ministry because he was a devout Jew. How could he reach these people? He's so disconnected culturally. He's so opposite them, even just politically, militaristically, in every way they are opposite. How on earth could Peter be used to reach one of them? I'm not capable of doing it. And God says, you forget something about what inviting really is. What Peter learned was that he was not the one doing the inviting. What Peter learned was that God was doing the inviting. That God invited Peter to go to Cornelius. And that God invited Cornelius to invite Peter. God was the one who was at work. And God can invite anyone He wants to connect with anyone He wants in order to help them understand and respond to the gospel. Peter's problem was that he thought that there were people that he could not invite. They were beyond inviting. And it built into a prejudice that what God was doing was limited to Peter's experience. This is the only things that God could do. But he forgot that, that we have a God, you and I have a God, who loves those meanwhile back at the ranch moments. Who loves those meanwhile behind the scenes, the things that you don't know. This is what's happening off stage. This is what's happening beyond what you know, beyond your experience, beyond your natural relationships. God invited Peter to invite, but he also invited Cornelius to invite. And as you and I think about, gosh, I don't know if I can invite, I don't know if I can invite people to church, I don't know if I can invite people to Easter, isn't it such a wonderful comfort to know, actually, God's inviting. He's inviting me to invite, but he's also inviting people to respond. I'm just doing a small part. God's the one who's doing the heavy lifting of inviting. You and I are not alone in this process. God is at work inviting people to talk to you before you even know it. And God is inviting you to talk to people and invite people even before they know it. Like a, like a master chess player. We only see one move ahead, but God sees 5, 10, 15, 20 moves ahead where He is maneuvering the pieces on the chessboard to be in exactly the right place at the right time so that when you come in contact with that one person that He wants you to invite and that they're now ready to respond to your invitation, it's checkmate. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You've never seen this in your life. God has never gave you a vision of food dropping down in a tarp. And, uh, well, He's maybe given you a vision of food, but it has nothing to do with this. <laughs> and he's, but He's never brought anyone to say, the Lord told me to seek you out. You've never had that experience. Or you've rarely had that experience. It's just simply not common. 
may I suggest that the problem doesn't lie with God, but it lies with us. It lies with us particularly in North America where we are such a, we are so driven by what we produce, by our productivity, by our busyness. We want to be busy. We love what the world calls the grind. Let's get after it. Let's commit hours to it. And we'll schedule, 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 schedule. Things to produce, things to produce, things to produce. Instead of making some margin for people we come in contact with, that God may be sovereignly bringing into our presence and vice versa. Maybe one of the things that we need to do is stop trying to produce so much. Stop being after the grind that is just all about productivity and slow down and listen for what God might be doing in the lives of people. And we've given you some of the ways that you can do that. The first is that you can be proactive. You can say, hey, I don't know if, if you have a church home, but uh, if you don't, I'd love to invite you to mine. We're having a church service uh, this Sunday. Well, we have them every Sunday, but we're doing an Easter service this Sunday, and you know, if, here's, our, here's the website for that. Can I give you this card? It can be that simple, right? We give you the tools that you can use. We give you a website. We give you images you can share. So there's things that you can do to be proactive in order to see who would be interested in connecting. You can do that regularly. But there's another thing that you can be doing because what's in this text is God speaking and clearly saying to both Cornelius and both Peter, listen, you need to go. Listen, you need to go. And so how do we make room for what God might be saying to others? How do we listen to determine if God might be speaking to someone that we're supposed to invite. Invite to follow Jesus. And just simply invite to church, whatever it is. We're to help them take their next step. How do we know? How can we, what should we be listening for to see if God is working in someone's life? Because it's not common in North America and in our circles where someone comes up to you and says, the Lord told me to talk to you. When that happens in North America, it automatically means you're going to tell me something, not the other way around. They're not asking for what you have to say. They want to tell you something, right? So what is it we should be listening for? How can we kind of understand or wonder or get an insight that God might be speaking to someone else where they're at. Andy Stanley from North Point Community Church has suggested three things that we can listen for that we might use as a way to then take a step of faith, put our toe in the water and say, oh, well, maybe an invite is the next step for me. And here they are. When people say things are not going well, how are things going? Oh, not well. Oh, why? Or when people say, you know, I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared for whatever it is that happened. I thought I was ready. I was not ready. Oh, 
And then finally, I'm not from around here. I'm not from here. Those three statements, things are not going well. I was not prepared for. I am not from here. Is an openness saying, I may not have all of the answers. And that is a possibly a good indication for us as Christians to wonder, is that God giving them an invitation to find the answers that only Jesus can provide? Listen for those things. Things are not going well. I was not prepared for, and I am not from here. I know. I get it. You get it. Inviting is hard. Feels like we're trying to ask someone to go on a date sometimes. Just nervous, and I don't know how to respond, and what's this going to do to the relationship? But it's not all that complicated. As a matter of fact, it's far more simple than we could ever imagine because God is the one doing the inviting. He's inviting us to invite others, and He's inviting others to invite us. He is at work like the master chess player behind the scenes, moving the board into place so that when He is moving, we are ready to respond. God is doing the invites. Consider yourself invited. Some questions for you just as we wrap up this morning and think a little bit more about inviting. They're going to be in your growth group this week if you're in a growth group. You'll also find them on our website under our messages uh, this afternoon or early this evening where you can uh, take a look at them. And we'll also put up the slide uh, for the three things to listen for so that you can have a copy of that if you didn't grab that uh, in your notes today. But here are the three questions to ponder this week. Do you find it easy or difficult to invite people you know to church? Why do you think that is? Second question. Do you find it easy or difficult to invite people you don't know to church? Why do you think that is? Then the third question. Can you think of times in your life when people have shared with you one of the three things to listen for? Things are not going well. I was not prepared for, and I am not from here. God is inviting us to invite. He's part of the process. Trust Him that He is opening the doors for you as other people respond to His invitation to listen to you as you invite. Remember that God's doing the inviting. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who is doing the inviting. We thank you as we think through our own lives, we think of those who invited us, who responded to your invitation, who spoke to us, and we can see how that was used by you. And we know, Lord, from our lives, when we've invited others to speak into our lives, to shape our spiritual growth or change the direction of our lives, that you used those uncertain moments where we didn't have it all together and we didn't know the answers. You used that to change us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember as we invite for Easter, as we invite people to join us, to join us on this journey of following Jesus, 
of learning what it means to connect to Him wholeheartedly. Lord, I pray that You would remind us that it's really You are the one. You are the one. You are the one who is doing the inviting. You're inviting us to invite, and you're inviting others to respond. May that give us confidence as we invite others, not just to join our church, but to join your family. We pray this in Jesus' name.